You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. If you've got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the back of the seats, um, or you can use your app. Um, If you don't have a Bible, and you can find a nice enough one in the seat, you can have that. You can have that Bible. We want you to have a Bible, and so you can take that home. That is yours. Um, we can get more Bibles. That's okay if, if it means you taking home one. But if you just want to borrow one also for now, it's on the back of the seats, and we're looking at Matthew five, thirteen to 20. Matthew five, thirteen to 20. As I was exploring um, this congregation, this church has been going through the book of Matthew. Uh, over, we started last year, Um, And with a few different series, we've been just slowly working our way through Scripture. And I thought about this morning, I thought, oh, maybe we'll start a new series. But as I opened up where we are in Matthew and considered this, I thought, this is exactly what God wants us to hear today. This is exactly where we should be. And so we're going to continue through Matthew, which means if this is the first time you're coming to this church today, you can back catalogue of our podcast, Burley Church, and have a listen how we've been journeying through the book of Matthew from last year up until now. And so here we find ourselves in a passage, in in what is the longest amount of time Jesus spoke in the scripture without a break, without someone interrupting with a question. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be going over that the next few weeks. And we started that in November last year. But it's Jesus on the side of a hill or a mountain, Hence the title. And he's preaching to his disciples and those, his critics, and those that are curious about who is this guy and what is he about. So let me read Matthew 5, 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He moves on to keep going. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to um, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We find ourselves in this section, as I mentioned, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus starts talking about it, and often in his teaching, he talks about the kingdom of God. It's like his vision statement for the church and for Christians. The kingdom of God. And he talks about the kingdom of God in two ways. To put it simply, it's a kingdom (laughs) where God is the king. It's a kingdom where God rules. And so there's an eternal kingdom where everything is made right. And you know that feeling inside of us that things aren't quite right. We know that at some stage we get to the kingdom and our purposes align 
Our creator is connected with his creation and we're in the kingdom of God. The other flip side of that is that we can actually live with Jesus as our king in this realm, in this, in, under this empire. And so it's a little harder, but we can walk in Jesus' ways, in Jesus' teaching and his truth and walk in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus outlines this and again he says, the kingdom of God. And he's just come out of a section of scripture that we covered in November called the Beatitudes, where he starts talking about how different walking in the kingdom of God is to walking as a regular person. He says things like, happy are those that are in poverty. Happy are those that experience loss. Happy are those that are persecuted. And right at the start of this message, he starts to talk about something that looks very different from the benchmarks of today's culture. Right from the beginning, he starts to explain a world that looks very different from the way we would see living even in 2018. He talks about walking a different path, carrying a life-changing and transforming message along a narrow path. And I guess that's where I want to start this morning, especially as we launch a new service. I want to talk about quickly, before we get into what salt and light mean, about carrying that life-changing message. And I want to say my first point, it's going to come up in a moment, if you're taking notes, and I encourage us to take notes. In Jesus, we have something life-giving and life-changing. Let me read that again. In Jesus, we have something life-giving and life changing. You might be like, all right, that's your first point of your first sermon. All right, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'll be here next week. <laughs> I kind of figured that maybe that's you. But seriously, if you think about it, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian long enough, it's easy to forget this. I don't know, it only takes one bad week for me as a human. And at the end of the week I'm like, is this is this a good thing? Is this really good? We forget if you've grown up in a more religious church full of legalism and rules and you're just stepping into church again today, then you might be saying, well, it was actually never good. I never thought the message of Jesus was that good. Or if you're walking in today and you don't know Jesus, then the the fairest question to be asking is, why is it good? Why is any of this good? Why is Jesus' message, why is walking the path of the kingdom of God, why is being salt and light good? I just want to unpack the last statement that Jesus says in the passage we just read. In verse 20, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that again. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. As mentioned, the kingdom of God is also this eternal place, heaven. And here we have a really strange statement from Jesus, saying unless you're better than a Pharisee or a scribe, basically you won't get to heaven. Anyone else not like that statement? That's a full-on statement. And he would have said it deliberately. If you don't know what a Pharisee and scribe is, that's okay. That's pretty religious words. Let me put it another way. He's saying, unless you can be gentler and more loving than Mother Teresa, or wiser than the most biblical theologian, you won't get to heaven. 
He's baiting them, by the way. He's deliberately, I can imagine the crowd on the hill going, what's he saying? I can't believe that. I can't believe you can say that. I'm just going to heaven. And that's fine. He wants that. He's calling something out within them that's incredibly deep within us all. If you're not with me yet, let me give you a glance at today's culture. If you just look out these windows today, every day in every way, people are trying to prove themselves. People are trying to get more likes on Facebook, get more followers on Instagram, get more ghost points on Snapchat. I think that's what they're called. I don't know, someone younger and cooler, tell me what you get for doing that. But people are building empires their entire life, their brand, if you will. People cut and slice their body up to look like they're not ageing. Have you ever stopped to think, why are they doing this? Who are we proving ourselves to? Yet every human, at the base of our human condition, we're always trying to be somebody, prove something, prove we're worthy. As a Christian, I honestly believe, whether they know it or not, they're trying to prove themselves to God. They're trying to fix that void they feel. They don't know sometimes the disconnect. They don't understand the loss. But Jesus does, and he says it right here. They're trying to fill a void. Jesus is saying in this just one statement, he's saying that their empires will fall. In two generations, our name will be forgotten. Probably before that. Our belongings will rust, and the body will just turn back into dust. No effort, no amount of good thoughts or anything will deem us worthy. We see this. We see the rat race just outside these windows. And maybe even in a bit of us, there is this incredible void. Jesus, though, (laughs) doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave them just to murmur amongst themselves. He says in verse 17, I have come to fulfill the law which would have made relatively no sense to those sitting on the hill at the time, but in three years, it would make perfect sense. In less than three years, he would be hanging on a cross, filling that void, paying that price, giving his life so that when God sees us, when, that, when we feel deep within us that unfillable void, we can know Jesus filled it. Jesus brought us back to the creator, back to our purpose, back to our God. Every single person here and outside wants that, is craving that, is trying every day to fill that, and Jesus did it 2,000 years ago on the cross. That is good news. That is what we're going to talk about carrying this morning. That is the very foundation we gather around every Sunday. In both services, no matter the style, that is what we're about. And that is what we're going to just remember in a moment. If you don't know Jesus, come and have a chat to me after. I'd love to let you know this good news, that you are worthy. That when he sees you, you might as well be Mother Teresa. (laughs) For some of that, that's not a great image, actually. But he sees the good. He sees Jesus. And so in a moment, we're just going to take a bit of juice. And what we're going to do this morning, you come forward and just help yourself Grab a bit of bread, which represents Jesus' body. A bit of juice represents the blood. They're not magic. They're just, I, they could be just from coals. It's just random juice and bread. What they represent 
is an incredible message that you are worthy and that you have something. If you know Jesus, you carry something that is life-changing, life-transformative. Let me pray. Jeremy's going to play a little bit. Come on down, take a moment, and then we can continue the sermon. And um, yeah, a couple more points. Let me pray. Father, just remind us this morning, let us be that prayer on the very first service at this time, Lord. Let first and foremost be our prayer that we understand that Jesus, what he did is good news, not just to us, but to every single person, if thou hear it, Lord. We can be deemed worthy. We can be okay. We can be unplugged from the rat race that is Western or the whole planet, Lord. Just remind us now of what you did through this time in communion. In Jesus' name, amen. It's why we gather. It's why we come, crowd into a room on a Sunday morning. It's simple but profound to remind ourselves of the goodness, to remind ourselves in a deeply disturbed, dark world that we carry something incredible, that we are worthy. It's why we do this. It's why people, people that don't go to church, sometimes the first question is not, oh, why do you believe in God? It's like, you do that every week? Yes, we need it. I don't know about you. I need it more than once a week to remind myself that I don't have to live in the patterns of this world, but I can be renewed in Jesus. He's done it. It's finished. And I can live out of that. And that's where this next bit, I just want to speak about two things that Jesus uses to explain the other part of what we do. And he uses two words. Does anybody remember from the passage all the way back 10 minutes ago, the two things? Salt and light. Salt and light. Jesus says, you are the salt and light. It's not code for anything. He literally means light is in light that lights up darkness and salt that you put on chips. It's not, he does, it's the same, salt was the same in ancient Hebrew and light was the same. But they do represent a couple of things and particularly two things that I find encouraging and challenging for us today that I want to talk about. And the first thing, Jesus says, you have this goodness in you and I want you to be salt, table salt and light. The first thing he says is salt and light is no good hidden and untasted. First thing Jesus says, he makes clear by talking about the lamp covering that salt and light is no good hidden and untasted because the light brings brightness and the salt brings taste. You know, the more, I have, the more kids I have, and the more they get older, don't worry, Mez, we're not having any more. <laughs> but the more kids I have, do you know what, and this is going to be weird. Can I be a bit weird on the first service at 8.30? Can I be a bit weird? Is that all right? Okay, a bit, a bit weird Steve Gray thought, look forward to these. If this is what gets you into this church, then this is that's amazing. If it, if it deters you, then just skip over it. But they have this weird thought, right? The more I have kids, and I don't know if it's the Tasmanian, my mum's Tasmanian, it might be the Tasmanian in me. Um, I sometimes wonder and picture getting all my friends, all Christians, going to buy a big block of land, like a farm, just living on that. Raising a barn, raising a church, ra- raising coffee beans. So I can have coffee, of course. Living off the land. Sitting by the fire with all the kids as they grow up. Um, it's actually probably doable, so I'm going to pitch it to you. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I think um, John's brother, 
think, I think we've got a bit of land that we could actually move into. So that's not where this is going. But I, sometimes I just love to stay protected and away from the darkness that is this world, right? And whether you, whether you want to start a commune with me is totally not the point. But it's tempting, right, to stay just with each other. But unfortunately, it's the opposite of why we're still here. It's the very reason you don't become converted and Jesus whips you up to heaven. It's the very opposite of what Jesus actually teaches. Churches, all churches, at some point fall into the trap of believing that the salt should stay in the bottle and the lamp under a bowl where it's nice and warm and protected, right? Where it's safe and tempting to turn... It's tempting to turn a church into a club where everything I like and everyone I like is there. But what good is salt left in the shaker? And if I was to pick this up and turn this on, none of you are ducking because you're not going to get your eyes... You're going to get your shine in your eyes because the lights are turned on. And so what good is turning on the light in a lit room? doesn't do anything. We're not called to just hang out with each other, as tempting and nice as it would be. We are to be in the world. We are to be in the darkness where the light needs to be. We are meant to be near the unsalted. We are to be Jesus to them. And I say this, and the reason this passage stood out to me, this needs to be the heartbeat of this church, especially as we open a new service today. Yes, we gather and encourage each other, remind ourselves who we are, we grow in Jesus, then we go. We go into our week carrying that identity and our Monday job into the parks, streets and families and we're going to be bright and we're going to be tasty as salt and light does. Quick warning, quick warning that this can fall into. I've heard this go down this track. Jesus doesn't say, now go bring the salt and light. He doesn't even say, try to throw or shine some light at somebody. (laughs) It's not about going up to somebody and just sprinkling some salt on them. I don't know, I'm just making something up. No, judge, see someone smoking and you walk past and just body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and throw some salt at them, try to get them. Or build a comfortable club and stand on the corner of the church and throw salt, trying to hopefully hit somebody. That's not at all what Jesus says. It's the opposite. We laugh at this, but Christians so easily, and I understand why, I just told you about my temptation, find a comfortable place, their club, and they just seek to throw salt and hopefully hit someone. But can you imagine, can you imagine if Jesus did this? Can you imagine up in heaven, he sees the disconnection, he sees the void, and he knocks the salt off the table going, I hope that hits someone. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. As we just remembered, he came down into the mess. Do you know what, they, do you know what they, his outside circle referred to him as? A glutton and a drunk. Because that's who he was hanging around with. Anyone think about the fact that near the end of his life, his mate pulls out a sword when I was in high school, if I went to school and I came home and said, Mum, she's has your new friends, and I said, Well, they carry swords. She would tell her friends that I'm hanging around with a bad crowd, right? Jesus was hanging around with a bad crowd. They carried swords. Well, at least one we know of, and he used it to cut a guy's ear off. Jesus is clear here. If you want to live and follow Jesus, don't carry the salt and light, don't throw it at people, but be the salt and light. 
And so what does this mean to be the salt and light? Hopefully, over the lifespan of this service and church, hopefully that's what we're exploring. I'm not going to answer what God wants us to do in Burley Heads or the southern Gold Coast at the moment. That's for us to pray and consider as a church. But let me give you, as historians and people watched the early church for the three, first 300 years, here were the three things they noticed that seemed to be key ingredients of why a church grew to the billions it is today. First 300 years, why this small group of people living this alternative way exploded. Number one, I'll go through these rather quickly. Number one, it was, a, it was multicultural. In a season where people were born into their faith or their religion, Christianity was something people could choose, no matter their bank statement, no matter their class, no matter their colour, no matter their background, they could be a Christian. It was this radical acceptance that started to explode the church. Number two was forgiveness and reconciliation. When they got jailed, when early Christians got tortured, when their family got killed... Some of them would even forgive those that killed them. Some of them would forgive the jailers that jailed them. This radical forgiveness, not holding on to things of this earth, living for an eternal kingdom, meant they exploded. And the third component, that these aren't what Christians said, these are people that watched what they called the followers of this way didn't even invent the name Christian yet. They were just followers of this certain way of living. The third thing they did is they were so passionate about caring for the less fortunate and the sick that when a town would get disease-ridden or a plague would break, the early Christians were known that they would stay and look after them. How's that? Because you know what would happen? They didn't look after them and take them to a hospital. They would probably die themselves and catch the plague. Because they weren't living trapped and enslaved by our culture today. They were living for a bigger kingdom. And so the church exploded. Under persecution, it exploded. The early Christians weren't throwing salt. (laughs) They were the salt and they were the light. And so you might be saying this morning, okay, that's great. Steve, maybe you don't even know my name yet, pastor guy, Maren's husband, as I'm better known as. I don't have any plague-ridden friends and I'm not at risk of going to jail for my faith today. What do I do? Or maybe you read Acts and you see these outrageous supernatural events and you say, I haven't done that today. What do I do? Keep trying, keep praying, keep praying for people. God will move. While you're exploring this, here's just a couple of things I'd love to throw out this week. Imagine this week, if you're financially capable, you shouted a random mum that had screaming kids at the grocery store, her groceries. Lent across, pay past it, said, I've got it. This isn't law, by the way, it's just a couple of thoughts. Imagine you gave someone a gift this week and it wasn't even their birthday. Maybe you offered to mow someone's lawn or you're mowing your own and you mow your neighbours as well. Imagine you put down your phone and you ask somebody how they're going and you're not already loading up what you're going to tell them in your head. You're actually listening. I'm so guilty of that. I'm going to try that one this week. Actually listen. Imagine if you said no to someone that's super fun for someone that's super lonely. 
Or instead, here's one, if inviting that person to church, go to that thing they've been trying to invite you to. First, be their friend. Be the salt and the light in there. And then you know what? We'll get to what will happen. Find the name of someone over the age of 70 in the next service and sit down with them this week and have a coffee with their permission <laughs> and ask them how God, what is the goodness, what's the gospel in their life? How's God being faithful to them in their life? I promise you at the very least, you'll have the person saying, what on earth is wrong with you? <laughs> and you'll have your peers saying, what on earth is wrong with you? We do this a couple of times a week and you'll be able to answer, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something right with me and it's Jesus. I heard this quote about this passage this week and it said, salty people make others thirsty. And I loved it. If we be the salt and light, if we be something different, people will be drawn. Someone might say, Steve, it's not that simple. Dare I say this morning, it is that simple. It's just not easy. It's hard in our culture today. Salty people make others thirsty. And the second thing, I'm conscious of the time. We're trying new times, new services, so I'm conscious of the time. I'm going to work through this pretty fast. But number two, this one's important. Salt and light preserves and it illuminates. This is the more challenging one. This is the harder one, I guess. Because I've heard this message preached on a podcast before. And they say, right, you've got the salt, you've got the light, so just be awesome, be super cool, go to all the awesome parties, go out there and just be tasty and bright and, and be fun. Salt and light sometimes is offensive to people. Sometimes it means preserving something as salt does for food and sometimes it means illuminating something dark in someone's life. Sometimes it's not always received. It's not always someone's flavour in that moment. Sometimes it preserves. As Jesus says in verse 17, I read this before, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. He didn't come to get rid of the ways of Jesus. He came to fulfil it. Salt and light preserves and it illuminates. Jesus didn't come to make all the wisdom or the ways of God null and void. He came to fulfill it. So it doesn't mean calling out the specks in each other's eyes or it doesn't mean preserving tradition or style. This is not what it means. It means we are to preserve our relationship with God, protect it, fill our minds and our ways with the right things. We are so easily distracted. One minute you're setting aside to be generous. I know this is a true story. One minute you're setting aside to be generous and give away. Next minute you're looking at your share options and buying Bitcoin. I know a guy that that happens, that's in his mind all the time. So easily distracted. So easily distracted. Getting together with each other, encouraging and challenging and helping each other in deep relationship with God and each other to not lose our saltiness. That's why I'm, you're going to hear me constantly talk about this. Yes, we meet Sunday, that's awesome. We gather, we remind ourselves who we are and then during the week we grow together. We try to live how Jesus lived. We're not perfect because it's good news and it's a good way to live and it's life-giving and we grow together. This is so important to preserve and protect and illuminate 
the salt and light within us. I'm going to skip ahead here. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Sometimes the salt and light is going to be accepted and it's going to make people thirsty. Sometimes it's going to be offensive. Let me finish with a, a story. I, um, I had this uh, mate of mine that would come to gigs when I was a bit younger, late teens, early 20s. And uh, we'd all go up to the bar and we'd have a beer. By the way, this isn't an alcohol talk. This isn't an anti-alcohol talk. It's nothing to do with alcohol, but it's got alcohol in the story. And so we'd have a beer. Just don't read the wrong thing into what I'm saying. And he would always order a Coke. It's 1am at night, the gig's finished, and he'd order a Coke. And it bugged me. Late teens, early 20s, I'm like, in my head, you high and mighty guy, like, just order a beer. Are you too good to have a beer? This is what an old teenager, Steve Gray's thinking. Why, why are you just having a Coke? And do you know why it bugged me? He never passed judgment. He never threw salt. Just ordered a Coke. It bugged me because in my late teens, early 20s, I was abusing it. As a Christian, I knew I was doing the wrong thing. I knew that I was waking up some Saturday mornings feeling ill. I knew that I was saying things and doing things under the influence that were not godly. And so to see a guy just live his life in his own conviction, and I found out later it was because of his parents and he had a heap of good reasons why he chose to live like that. It, oh man, it annoyed me because it illuminated something in me. And so it wasn't good news for me at the moment. And sometimes the stuff we do in order to live out the way Jesus is calling us is going to take offence. Doesn't mean it's not good. Church. On a smaller or larger scale, your lives doesn't mean you have to be the bell of the ball. It means in living this apprenticeship with Jesus, with bringing, uh, with brightening and tasteful for someone and others not so much. Church, visitors, new people. This is what this community wants to be about. We want to be a place that is about the goodness, the gospel, about Jesus, and we're going to gather around that every single week. Then we won't attend church, we'll be the church. We won't be a safe, comfortable club. But a fellowship that can remind us of who we are, help us become more like Jesus, and then go into the world with the good news that we carry. We will grow, we will preserve the ways of Jesus. Not because we're held by the law, but because God is good and his ways and his pruning path gives life. We'll go into the darkness. Sometimes we'll be bright and tasty. And some people will thirst for what we have. This is where we're at. This is where we're heading. Love for you to join us. So, so excited about what God's going to do here. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your text. Thank you that I don't have to rely on my own wisdom. Lord, I have your word. And thank you for these symbols, salt and light. As this community forms, as we work out what works, Lord, may we just remember that we're about gathering around you, growing in your spirit, and going with an incredible message and light within us. May you stir within each of us this week. If we don't know you, may we find you. Ask someone about you. 
Lord, for those of us here that are distant from you, may we come back in and remind ourselves of why it is good news. And for those that have, that have hidden and stayed a little comfortable, may we be a bit more bolder knowing that what we carry will make people thirsty. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I think, what's the time? 9.30. We are normally going to have a last song, but we're not going to this morning because I want to end right on time for the next service. Really appreciate the team preparing, and I feel bad even saying that, but we're just going to head on out. We'd love to get to know you over morning tea, and uh, please stay, fill out some of those cards, and um, yeah, see you next week.